Today, we're speaking with an iconic brand founder in the California cannabis industry. Tell me, boy, you make me so bored. You need to walk the other way. I tell you once more. Welcome back to Women Leading in Cannabis, where we go deep and get real with the pioneering women shaping today's cannabis industry. You can find us on the PodConnects Network on iTunes, Spotify, and Pandora. If you like what you hear, subscribe to Women Leading in Cannabis. I'm your host, Kira Reed. I'm here today with Nitty Lucky Honda, founder and CEO of Loon, a California-based cannabis lifestyle brand. Welcome to the show, Nitty. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to be here. I'm looking forward to talking with you. Prior to founding Mm -hmm. Loon in 2018, Honda acquired years of experience in luxury brand communications while residing in Boston and New York. Honda then parlayed her business acumen and brand marketing repertoire to celebrity talent management in Los Angeles. Hailed as a woman breaking the grass ceiling in weed by Forbes and a women of weed by High Times Magazine, Nitty's savvy entrepreneurial spirit is now fully devoted to Loon, honoring a cannabis 3.0 consumer who knows that getting high only begins to tell the story of what the plant truly represents. Honda is a formidable force that is propelling a multitude of topics like inclusivity, restorative justice, and cannabis etiquette forwarded within the space. As a woman of color, Honda has dedicated her career to building a cannabis brand that will not only disrupt the dispensary shelf, but also raise the industry standards for workplace culture, representation, and social equity. Through Loon, Honda is on a mission to revolutionize the cannabis industry from the inside out and establish new consumer ideals for the industry. All right, Nitty, Loon is definitely a star in the California cannabis market. How did you come to find yourself in cannabis from celebrity talent management? Oh, well, first of all, thank you for saying that. Um, I think that the real founder, you know, head in the weeds, no pun intended journey is that most of us are just behind a screen or on a plane or in a manufacturing facility or dispensary. And it's hard to... uh, sometimes get the the zoomed out macro perspective. So it's, it's, it's a very nice compliment. Um, I came to cannabis really as consumer first. I have been consuming since I was a teenager. I was really excited when California went wreck and, you know, was so excited and also slash a little disappointed in in early dispensary experiences from a brand perspective. I consider myself a brand geek. I love all things brand. I get excited about thinking about why and how brands build relationships with consumers. And I was excited to find the brands that were going to speak to me and that just wasn't happening. So that was really the catalyst for me and very, very sort of low to no expectations of what that would 
mean in terms of my involvement in the industry. And I think that has that bode well for me in hindsight, because, you know, I was not looking at the space like, oh, how can I get into this thing? And what can I do? And, you know, how can I make money? It was that was not my journey at all. So now you are the founder of Loon. Tell us, give us kind of the the 360 degree view on the company. Where are you located? How big is it? What is your mission? What is your workplace culture? And what's next for you this year? Oh, great, great questions. Um, so we are based in West Hollywood, California. Um, and we are a, a small but mighty team of about 15 people at Loon. Uh, we are in about 180 dispensaries in California and call it uh, maybe a dozen delivery platforms. Um, and delivery is, is a big part of our business. So uh, we we celebrate that delivery part. I'm a, I'm personally a delivery consumer. So I, I, I love and particularly through COVID excited about that space. And we launched the brand in Arizona in December where that is going really, really fast. It's we're about five and a half or six weeks in and we've already uh, found ourselves in about a third of the dispensaries in, in Arizona. And that number is growing really fast. Just trying to scale up in a responsible way. And yeah, and then, you know, the other parts of your question. So from a mission perspective, Loon is incredibly mission driven. And this is a thing that I'm, I feel very, uh, like being very careful about the way I say this, because one thing that's incredibly important to me is never to be performative about, about the mission related work that we do at Loon. I, I feel really a moral imperative being in the legalized part of this space, not just for myself, I think for any of us participating in the space, not just to educate ourselves about the history of how the plant has been weaponized by uh, our government, but also um, you know, the reality of what that means at a micro level and how many people's real lives have been affected by unjust incarceration and you know, a whole host of other things. Uh, so Loon is incredibly dedicated um, in the background and in the foreground to supporting social justice reform. You know, we'll always have a skew on our menu where 100% of the proceeds are going to go to cause. I grew up in a very uh, philanthropic family and service is just like a, a basic tenet of the way that I was brought up. So that for me feels like something um not to get brownie points for, but but just sort of the, the bare minimum of showing up. Uh, to the party that is, you know, being part of our society. And I think you asked me about work culture and, you know, and what, what the vibe at Loon is. It is honestly, if I was to, you know, if the entire world was to just like, you know, stop selling weed today and I had to like retrospectively look back at the biggest pride points of my company and what I've built, it is like by leaps and bounds my team and, and the culture that we're cultivating at Loon. Um, I, I, I get really a little weepy when I think about how I've been so lucky to, to somehow find myself surrounded by such, you know, lit from within kind, conscious and thoughtful humans. Um, we spend a lot of time and energy at Loon talking about value system, you know, what's important to us, how we want to, you know, authentically storytell and celebrate not only this incredible plant, but the dynamic creative ways 
to do that. So um, culture is is a huge thing in our company. We are super silly, creative, food loving, and dog forward people. We have five dogs in our office pretty much at all times at Loon, and um, we all share a lot of common interests <laughs> in in uh, you know talking about what what our next meal is going to be and uh, you know, what dog park is the best one to take our pups to. So that's, that's the vibe. And what's next for you this year? This year's all about uh, footprint expansion. So we are, we have some aggressive goals. Um, you know, we're looking at six new markets this year and it's uh, you know, in, in, in cannabis, we have to have like equal parts, uh, crazy and wild uh, insane expectations and we have to set super high bars and simultaneously at all times be ready to pivot because you know that is our industry our industry is constantly evolving not just market conditions uh, but of course the regulatory environment and then layer on top of that we're still inside this pandemic um, but yeah big goals for this year are putting the flag down in six new markets very cool so let's talk about being a woman in the industry. And as a woman of color, how has cannabis compared to your experiences in the luxury and entertainment worlds? And has cannabis provided more opportunity for you than these other industries or less? Yeah. So I would say, I'll start with the back half of that question. I, I've never worked in an industry that is quite as overtly laden in misogyny and you know, a lot of tropes that I think we kind of, we know are, are starting to be exposed in other industries or have been in the last few years. But on the flip side, also never worked in an industry where there is so much opportunity. Um, I think that the reality is, is that the two things kind of come hand in hand. It's still early, you know, and I know for those of us in the space, we feel like it's not early at all because you know, we're in it and we feel the competition and we feel the saturation. But the reality is, is so much of the dynamic, legalized, foundational or infrastructural pieces of our industry are very new. Um, and that, I think, has enabled a lot of these sort of <laughs> misogynistic slash racist slash a lot of other things to just persist. It's, 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 it's interesting. So my experience, you know, and I can only speak from my own perspective. I've seen a lot of crazy, insane stuff. Um, it has not been, um, the warmest or fuzziest welcome ground and simultaneously has been the most exciting, fastest growth, incredibly like rewarding thing I've ever done. There's a lot of crazy juxtapositions in weed, um, in the business of weed, and that's just what it is. I'm about four years in now, and I still, every day, I'm like, oh, okay, all right, yep, yep, okay, this is uh, this is what it is. It's never quite going to be, you know, something I get used to because it's hard to wrap your head around these sort of, I, I live in Los Angeles, you know, I we're in the middle of the sort of the wake of the Me Too, you know, I won't say movement, but the wake of the Me Too introduction. And it's still very prolific and it should be forever until we don't need to talk about it anymore. And, you know, at the same time, we still see a lot of active misogyny and racism running rampant in our industry on the same streets, in the same 
in the same spaces and it's weird. Um, I, I, I don't know a, a more articulate way to say it than that. <laughs> <laughs> well, as a founder, as a, the head of your company, have you found it challenging when, you know, when you're representing your company, when it comes to deal-making, when it comes to raising funds, do you find that there is a higher barrier or wall to cross to getting that respect because you're a woman? You know, sometimes yes, sometimes no. I think it's a double-edged sword. And I think that women listening to this, whether in cannabis or not, hopefully can relate to this. I think we're in a moment um, in in the sort of zeitgeist of women in any kind of profession where two things are simultaneously happening. It's being very, very, becoming very apparent and like dynamically obvious that there is a lot of misrepresentation and inequities in women in business, period, end of story. And on the flip side of that, there's, I think, a lot of well-intentioned or sometimes maybe not well-intentioned, but performative opportunities coming from many organizations or companies that perhaps give a, a platform or an opportunity to women. So I'm not sure if that made a lot of sense, but the the thing that I'm saying is, is that there's, there is, you know, like we know and we that all the statistics, it's harder for women. Women have a hard time. And this, these are not dynamic to weed, but, you know, it's harder to raise money for a woman. It's harder to, you know, often be taken seriously. There's, you know, I mean, I see it on the micros and not so much anymore because I think I've earned my stripes a little bit um, over over the years. But, you know, certainly, you know, I remember when I when I was first before I launched the company and I was researching, uh, you know, different, different things like, for example, cones for pre-rolls. And I remember calling one of the, the biggest cone companies in, in the world. You know, there's only a few that are, that are very popular. And I was, you know, I was doing my diligence. I am somebody who has worked in business my entire career. You know, I'm not sure it's, I'm, I'm, I might not know a lot about cones, but I know a lot about widgets and it's it's not that different. And I called this company and I said, you know, hey, I'm trying to understand, you know, XYZ about how you sell cones and what that looks like and blah, blah, whatever my questions were. And the guy on the other other side of the call, you know, I later found out was, I don't know, 28 years old, by the way, in Los Angeles and said to me, all right, hon, um, why don't you have your boss call me? And we can talk yeah. about, you know, we can see oh. what, what you guys really need. And if I'm, oh. if I am willing to sell you cones, right? Like this, and this is a very uniquely cannabis thing. I think also this idea of, you know, I've encountered this several times over this, the years, this attitude of let me decide if I want to give you my service, which is so weird, right? Because like that is, that is opposite to most business dynamics when you're the one writing the check. And I, and I just remember thinking, what, like, like, like what's happening? Like I'm, I'm still in LA. Right. And this guy like lives down the street. Like, it's 2022, right? like what's, what's going on? Like I, I couldn't, I couldn't understand like what was going on, you know, but that dynamic, and that's a very PG anecdote and I'll, I'll leave it. I'll keep it at that level uh, for the sake of, your listeners uh, keeping their meals down while listening to this, but that's a very PG kind of interaction. Uh, there have been unfortunately far, far worse things, but you know, 
that that specific dynamic, I'm I'm very convinced that if you took that same guy outside of cannabis and you put him into say an industry where he was selling cosmetics or car stereos or something, I don't know that that same attitude, both the misogyny and the control, the thing of like, let me decide if I want to sell you this thing. I don't know that that would exist. I think there's something very unique about our industry. Um, and particularly, and I'm talking about 2018. So like we're a few years out from there. And I think things have evolved quite a lot um, since then. But it's, it was really glaring to me. That was like one of the earliest kind of moments where I was like, wait, what? Like what's happening here? And And is this is this just like one, you know, sort of crazy interaction or is this indicative of what's to come? And it certainly was indicative of what's to come, <laughs> not unilaterally, but certainly uh, it's there. It's part of the industry. I have asked pretty much every woman who I've interviewed over the last year and a half, a similar question, being a woman in the industry. And not one of them has said, I don't have a negative story to share with you. And even, you know, as recently as this last year, stories of just mind-boggling misogyny. How are we living in this day and age, in this state, with this awareness? And this just happened to me. It's it's really, um, it's shocking and concurrently also sad how common it is. The one thing that I've I've gotten really vocal about, and I think this is something that, you know, has lost me a few friends in the industry, but I've gained far more because of it, is that I, I, I take it as my own, like, you know, moral imperative to talk to any men, any male allies about my experience and the experience of other women who are willing to share their stories. And, and really, you know, I'm sort of, force them to bear witness. Because I think that part of the problem is when you don't have, you know, and there's like really interesting studies around bullying, like children and bullying and, and the effect of a, the bystander effect. Like what happens when a kid is getting bullied and the bully keeps going and going? What happens when you introduce a third person who is the bystander? And even if that person doesn't actually do or say anything, but just stands and bears witness, there is this amazing thing that happens where the strength, like wherever this bully is deriving his or her, her strength from, somehow seems to weaken. The power seems to go down. The dynamic starts to shift. And I, I really do believe that encouraging the men in our worlds to bear witness, to, to show up and to, to confront this thing that's happening um, is going to help this thing go away or evolve because you know what's not helpful is good men not seeing this stuff and therefore not really being able to understand it and understand that it's real um, and you know and that's not just in our industry that's in every you know in every space and every you know home and every woman that's living and you know with domestic violence or anything you know and I think that it's been um, that's been really interesting for me because I've I think gained a lot of friends allies and and just genuinely like seen a lot of good men in this industry kind of rise up through the kind of like being empowered by this thing of like oh I've I've seen this thing you're not crazy it's real and. I don't know what I can do. Nobody knows what to do. I mean, that's like a universal truth. Like nobody knows what to do in a moment, 
right? Like of, of injustice, but I see it and I'm willing to stand next to you. And if that means I'm not going to support this XYZ company with my dollars, or I'm not going to, you know, oh, there's a dispensary buyer who's locking female, you know, uh, uh, salespeople in back rooms and threatening them. <laughs> like, you know, like, I mean, these are very like, you know, sort of uh, like, you know, dynamics that actually I think COVID really helped with. They don't seem to happen. Um, I'm like knock on wood. That I think is great. And I, you know, and I definitely am not saying that men are the answer to women's problems. What I'm saying is, is that we all need to do it together. Like it's, there's no value of standing in a silo. I, I think that, you know, as women, we are so freaking powerful and have the gift of multitasking. And that means a lot, like in business in particular, but by excluding or keeping the men out, I don't think we're helping the cause of changing those dynamics because so much of why this still exists is because those good guys don't know what's happening and therefore they can't give their opinion about it. They can't make their values known. And we're missing out on half the population when we, you know, when we don't invite them to this twisted, dark party that we're all in. (laughs) Yeah, it's a really good point. Um, My husband is a, you know, a guy who would never do anything like that. And therefore, when I tried to educate him about what was happening, he just had a really hard time understanding that it was actually true because he's not somebody who would ever do things like that. And I think that that's, true about a lot of allies who are men. I mean, they would never behave that way. So they, you, they just don't see it. They don't, they don't expect that that's actually what's happening in the world because they themselves would never behave that way. But it, it, it's true. Um, educating them is how they come around, you know, as I've been leading women employed in cannabis for several years now, he's heard a lot of stories and is now, firmly entrenched in the side of, you know, we've got to support women in this industry better. I think it's also interesting what you said about bullying. And it made me think, you know, one of the purposes of women employed in cannabis is to give women a sense of an army of support when she's the only woman at the table. And I think, you know, my experience has been, I've talked to a lot of women who've had the experience when you're the only one sitting at the table and that misogyny enters the room it's so easy for us as women to start introverting and, you know, what did I do wrong? Or, you know, kind of taking the blame on themselves or being willing to bend to the bully. But if she knows that she's got an army of women behind her in spirit, it changes the game for her. She can be stronger. She can stand up for herself more because she knows that it's not okay because it's being reinforced by her peers, even if they're not in the room with her. So, It's a really interesting concept to look at that from the lens of bullying. Thank you for sharing that with us. Yeah, no, I, I, um, you know, and and I agree with everything you're saying. It's, it's a very, um, unfortunately, it's a topic that's like folks don't want to talk about for obvious reasons. Um, It's a buzzkill to, you know, like, and I've had many moments where I've, you know, felt like I have a great opportunity to like start a conversation with a group of men or women or mixed company. And I, I know that it, you know, it might bring the vibe down and I I don't really care because I think that, you know, when we're talking about our safety, when we're talking about our ability to earn equity, and I, I think that's really important because I think there's some confusion about what it is that 
<laughs> any minority wants, you know, whether, you know, gender minority or, you know, it's crazy to say women are gender minority because we're not, but <laughs> we're certainly on paper are. And, you know, it's crazy, this idea that we want some sort of like handout. I, w- I don't want any handouts. I want to earn everything that I have, but I want an equal or as close to equal opportunity. And I know that that's not what life is. I know that, um, you know, and, and, and we all see it every single day and pretty much everything we do. But I think that, you know, in order for us to get where we want to go, folks like you and me need to be willing to, you know, sometimes be the buzzkill and, and force a conversation or, you know, a perspective because it's otherwise this thing is not going to change. It's really not. And, you know, when you hear about and really and I think I spend a lot of time thinking about, you know, the sort of what the industry and particularly the legacy part of the industry was built on. And it's a lot of women. It's a lot of women in farms and it's a lot of women who are, you know, our, our industry has like a deep history of like kidnapping and terrible, terrible crime and injustice against women that just is not spoken about. It's a casualty that of of this industry. And I, I, I think that it's it's obviously not fun to talk about these things, but if we don't, it's not going to change. And the good news is it is changing. It's not static. Everything in our industry, and this is the most exciting thing about working in weed, not just from this perspective, but from every single one is, you know, if you don't like the way something is right now, just wait five minutes. You know, it's like everything evolves so quickly. You know, um, you, you know, you bring a new product to market, you're going to get feedback really, really quickly because the hunger for you know the the consumer and and the retailer to have new is so high that the ability to just get feedback quickly and to get movement quickly is like nothing i've ever seen before it's it's really exciting so you know i certainly more good than bad but yes this is part of it let's talk a little bit more about social equity and representation in cannabis what are some of the things you and Loon are directly participating in that are outside of your company? Are you, you know, do you have volunteer days? Are you, you know, what are your hiring practices? How are you changing the game when it comes to social equity and representation? And then where do you see the future of cannabis when it comes to equity and inclusion? I think we often get really caught up in the fight and we forget what we're fighting for. So I love to hear your vision of the future when it comes to equity and inclusion. And, you know, what are we in this fight for? Yeah. So what we do here at Loon is uh, we support a lot of uh, a lot of great industry led initiatives, like one that I'm very passionate about is Momentum. Uh, Momentum is uh, an incubator uh, that or accelerator organized by the folks at Ease. Um, It's a really interesting model. Uh, It supports folks who are, you know, either social equity license winners or somehow um, disproportionately like affected by the war on drugs and therefore maybe less opportunity to succeed uh, by giving by giving them $50,000 grants with no equity attached to that. So usually incubators or accelerators ask, uh, you know, in exchange for financial contribution, ask for some sort of equity in the company. And and this is like a really interesting and amazing program that I think more folks need to know about. And really kudos to Ease for for taking the lead on this, because this is, I think they're in their third or fourth year now uh, with Momentum. And we've been sponsors every year. I also personally have been mentoring um, uh, some of the folks involved in the program. 
And, you know, what's great is it's real roll up your sleeves, get involved um, and help, whether it's a brand, a aspiring operator, whatever the sort of um, individual's view or, or desire in the industry, it's really help them get the resources to be successful. So things that are super expensive or onerous or seemingly outside of reach, like lawyers and compliance and, you know, having access to, you know, business modeling and, and sort of some of these, um, I'll call unsexier parts of building a business, um, and incredibly important and onerous. Um, it's, it's a great program. We, we have obviously great relationship, um, there and really excited to see what's coming out of momentum. And another cool thing about that they do is they put, um, a lot of these products and brands on their menu. So if you if you go to Ease, you, you'll see that uh, you'll find a lot of momentum um, winners or participants brands on the platform. And and I think that's really putting your money where your mouth is. Ease is a tremendous platform and a huge part of the California ecosystem. Um, we also support. Um, uh, a bunch of other organizations, one that we, I think everyone in our industry over 2020 in particular got really involved in is Last Prisoner Project. We got involved, I think, in 19 or maybe even 18. And I will say, and I think this is like an important thing for folks to think about, particularly new people getting into the industry or, you know, um, cash-strapped, cash-constrained companies who want to get involved and don't know how you know, anecdotally, when when I learned about Last Prisoner Project and was super interested and excited and wanted to get involved, I also had no money. I was really, you know, it was early days at Loon and I didn't have the resources to write big checks. And I reached out to to the folks over there and I said, hey, we want to help, you know, and right now we don't have the financial ability, but I, the, we've got other stuff. You know, we're a super creative company how can we help you? Can we help you make content? Like, what can we do? How can we show up? And, you know, it was, we were so warmly welcomed and invited to just be part of the party. And, you know, we started making my um, amazing creative lead at Loon, uh, Brian McCormick, uh, and I put our heads together and decided, you know, a great way to be of service is to, to create video content for some of the folks that LPP was trying to get out of prison. And, one of those uh, pieces of content was was Michael Thompson, and 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 it was you know a really sort of heart wrenching video, short piece of content that ended up going really viral, shared by a bunch of celebrities, and you know watching the trajectory. And of course, we all in our industry know Michael Thompson is someone who has a happy ending after a very very disproportionately and just wrong like experience. There's no reason why he should have lost his life that much of his life in prison, been, you know, not able to see his children and grandchildren grow up. And, you know, it's, you know, the reason I bring this up is because I think so often when it comes to service, particularly in the corporate ecosystem, we think that it's really outside of a lot of our reach. And I, I think sometimes you just got to be willing to be the person who shows up to the party. And if all you can afford to bring is napkins, bring napkins. You know, if you can't bring a bottle of wine or like, you know, just show up and fast forward to today. And, and you know, we have created entire SKUs where all the proceeds have gone to LPP and nothing gives me 
greater pleasure than to write checks to that organization. And honestly, you know, I remember, you know, prior publicists saying, oh, you know, LPP, like everyone's supporting LPP, like it's so 2020 or whatever. And I was like, sorry, what, like, are, are you joking? Like what? Like I, like cause and is not something that, you know, you should ever think of like, we think, God that so many folks in our industry have turned to supporting this organization. We need to. This is directly a thing that we all should be thinking and caring about. But, you know, internally at Loon, you know, one of the things that we're working really hard on, we just launched um, in Q4 of last year a a magazine called Honestly Grown. It's a quarterly magazine that's very social justice reform and lifestyle focused. Our plan with with Honestly Grown is really to develop a model both where we can communicate with, you know, what we at Loon call the 3.0 consumer, that being like, you know, the consumer who maybe doesn't fit the trope of, you know, the stoner guy, like stoned out of his mind, sitting across from like a pizza box and is like, like on his sofa, maybe like the newer, what we think of as a, a true like Loon consumer, the, the newer consumer, uh, you know, a model, or um, I think a lot of us and a lot of listeners probably understand what I mean by that. And what we're planning to do with this magazine, which I'm super excited about, is sell ad space and give all of the proceeds to cause. Um, we're we're trying to find innovative and interesting models to be, you know, promote our brand and simultaneously our mission, and also raise money for social good. Um, and again, we're just showing up to the party and, and, you know, we're a small brand and we're doing our very best to, you know, not sort of like follow the herd, but actually create new standards for what I hope the industry becomes. Thank you so much, Nitty. That's, that's really fascinating what you're doing and how you're dealing with the issue. Thank you for your contribution to the cannabis industry. Oh, thank you for saying that. No, it's a privilege to be part of it. I truly believe that. Is there anything else you want us to know before we go? Um, you know, really just that, you know, I, to, I, I, I imagine that a lot of your listeners are aspirational, like, you know, ladies looking to get into the space. And I, I just can't sort of say enough, like just find any foothold and come into this space because we need you. We need more smart, dynamic women. We need folks who are driven and you know what? Nobody knows, like there is no sort of degree yet, or maybe there are some now emerging around <laughs> cannabis. Um, don't let your inexperience be a barrier to entry. Roll up your sleeves and be willing to work hard and, and come into this space. It's beautifully dynamic. And if we're going to build something beautiful, we're going to do it holding hands with, you know, um, really like-minded, you know, well-intentioned men and women. So, um, yeah, I, I would just say, don't, don't be intimidated. Just, just come on in. Like the water is warm and we're, we're, I think there's a lot of good folks in this space who are, who are looking for just that. I love that. It's a great message. Where can people find out more about you and Loon? Loon.co, L-E-U-N-E is the brand. And um, I think that we do a pretty good job of, of keeping our, our social and our, our, our handles on social media, our Loon brand. And we, um, yeah, come learn about us. And I hope to see, you know, women across the country real soon in all as many legal markets as we as we can find our way into. Well, good luck. And thank you so much, Nitty, for your time and for sharing your journey with us today. 
Thank you. Such a pleasure to be here. Ladies, thank you for tuning in. If you haven't yet joined the Women Employed in Cannabis community, go to weicwomen.com. There you'll find all the details on membership for women working in cannabis. WEIC is a community that provides networking, mentoring, and support to women working in cannabis in the U.S., Canada, and around the world where there's an interest in cannabis legalization. We welcome women who are currently working in cannabis or curious about taking a leap into the industry. Consider becoming a WEIC woman member or WEIC business member for benefits and access across the network. And join us again for another conversation with Women Leading in Cannabis. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. How do cannabis CEOs balance growth and optimization strategies? What is THCO, Delta 10, and CBNA, and why should you care about these minor cannabinoids? And why isn't the endocannabinoid system covered in medical school? Most people think they're up to date in trends in the cannabis industry, but they're about six weeks behind. Learn about what is truly next in the cannabis space by joining myself, Brian Fields, and Kellen Finney every week on the Dime Podcast and, of course, on PodConnects.